This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs, broadcasting from Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. We're doing a show, which means my computer is working. I spilled some water on it as I notified people on Twitter. And after overnight drying, it is working aside from a few keys. I don't have access or I can't punch the I key, the K key or any of the numbers, but I do have this wireless keyboard, which is uh, working pretty swell. So uh, everything is a go. We're back on our recording schedule with a change. On Wednesdays, we normally bring you chip chat, but we're doing something a little different this week. Instead, we did an interview with Shauna East, a member of the 2020 DNC Rules Committee. She was appointed by uh, Bernie Sanders to the committee. The committee just wrapped up its work. And as you'd expect, when the Democratic Party's involved, there was a lot of funny business. So for more on what exactly went down during the 2020 DNC Rules Committee, here's our interview with Shauna East. So, Shauna, I know that um, a lot of Bernie supporters who were really invested in the primary sort of checked out of the process as soon as the, the primary was largely over and Bernie dropped out and endorsed Joe Biden. But there are there is a lot of activity still going on related to the nominating contest and to the Democratic Party in general in the form of the DNC Rules Committee, which uh, had been meeting. You were a member of this committee. Just sort of, I guess, break down for people who aren't fully paying attention to this sort of stuff. What is the purpose of this committee? How is it supposed to work? And how is it working this time around? Sure, no problem. So the Rules Committee is one of three main committees, the Credentials Committee, Platform Committee, and then also Rules. They work together to produce the Democratic National Convention every four years, which is the Democratic Party's presidential nominating convention. Um, so the Rules Committee is important because we can change propose changes to the Democratic Party's charter. Um, the, we can change the actual rules of the convention. So it can have like a really big impact on who actually wins, um, the roles of delegates and superdelegates, how we run primaries, like how we are going to allocate delegates and things like that. So all of that falls under the Rules Committee. Um, and typically the Rules Committee will meet just before the convention, like maybe the Saturday before a convention starting on a Monday. Um, and we're able to propose amendments to the charter and the convention rules. There's debate, there's voting. Um, it typically follows like a parliamentary procedure, Robert's rules. <laughs> so we're able to, you know, make motions and have, you know, typically some good debates on things. And we can also do, uh, we can file a minority report. So even if a amendment is not passed, if we get 25% of the committee to sign on, um, then that amendment is able to go to the full delegation for review and voting. So we have some, you know, pretty 
some some substantial power. Um, and and, and all... you were you were appointed to the committee by the Bernie Sanders campaign. I'm guessing that other members were appointed by the Joe Biden campaign or other campaigns that were involved in the in the primary. Yeah. So um, I founded Illinois for Bernie. It's like a grassroots campaign um, here in Illinois. Um, and so th through my work since 2015, I was, you know, have gotten to know a lot of people all across the state, Bernie supporters, and that's how I'm, and I was also a staff member in 2016. So through my work, basically campaigning for Bernie for five years is how I ended up being appointed. And then the state has like a procedure where they, the delegates actually vote on the standing committee members. So I was technically elected by the delegates in Illinois, but you have to kind of be appointed to be voted on. So I'm assuming it's the same for the Biden side. <laughs> but yeah, um, one thing that just happened was just a couple weeks ago, we were told that our meeting would take place several weeks before we anticipated. So um, it seemed like, you know, off the bat that maybe COVID would be uh, used as a reason to sort of fiddle with things, shall we say? <laughs> so how are they uh, fiddling with things this time around? Uh, what, what are they doing? I mean, it, it does seem like it would be con it very inconvenient for uh, a key event to be moved up several weeks because then you have less time to prepare. Exactly. Uh, what what else is going yeah, on? What, what, what other funny business is going down? Most of the <laughs> most of the funny business has been focused on the the platform committee, where a bunch of reasonable good uh, planks were voted down. But uh, I guess getting less attention is the funny business going on in the in the rules committee here. Well, they had their own funny business as well. So, but yeah, definitely happened in ours as well. So, um, basically, we're thinking, you know, we might we were actually under the impression we might still meet in person until several weeks ago. Then we were told, okay, your meeting's now July 30th. The problem with that is that gives us very little time to even find other committee members because they don't even give us a list of the names or contact info to even coordinate to see, you know, can I get support for my amendment? What are you thinking of doing? Like, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. Like all that stuff would be happening in person, but um, obviously with it being remote, that was very difficult. And then it being moved up so much gave us even less time um, to put together proposals. So basically a colleague of mine, Maggie Wonderly and I, once we found out it was gonna be remote, we just started like going on Facebook groups, on Twitter, like anywhere we could scrounge up a member or two as, and also because a lot of the state's elections were being delayed, that made it even later that we would find out who their committee members ended up being. Mm -hmm. So we would, you know, we ended up gathering about 30 Bernie side, uh, Bernie contingent uh, members. And then we called a meeting. Uh, we had a Zoom meeting, like a grassroots kind of thing, you know, just to hear what people were thinking. We kind of like advised people how to make a proposal in absence of Bernie's campaign actually doing that. So we were just trying to see what we could do on our own. But basically, the campaign didn't contact us until the um, 
Sunday before the meeting, before July 30th, to call a meeting of our contingency contingent, um, which ended up being the day before the meeting. We didn't receive amendments to review until just before the meeting. Um, I mean, then there was all sorts of, quote, technical difficulties that took place during the meeting. <laughs> Um, that I, you know, I think I have ample evidence were not, in fact, technical difficulties. Um, so yeah, do you want me to go kind of into that? Well, or? well what was, I guess, what was the, the goal heading into this committee of the Bernie contingent and, and you, what were you hoping to accomplish heading into this rules committee, get passed, and what sort of opposition did you face once it started? So I honestly thought of this as the culmination of all of my sort of efforts within the Bernie movement that I was going to, even if, you know, Biden's people worked against my proposal, I was still like in good faith coming and I actually was a um, precinct captain in Iowa during the caucuses and I campaigned for Bernie in Iowa. So my amendment was about, um, you know, basically uh, eliminating caucuses. I used the terminology um, expanding democracy by increasing voter participation, <laughs> but it effectively would have eliminated caucuses. So that was my whole presentation was about how they lacked accessibility, like people with disabilities couldn't um, participate. Um, you know, people who worked second or third shift couldn't participate, families, just like so the sort of obstacles and problems surrounding the caucuses. They make it easier for someone like Pete Buttigieg to claim he's the victor, even mm -hmm. though we all know, we all know what happened well, there. Well, we do exactly. remember the last rule in 2016, the rules committee did reduce the number of caucuses and added more primaries in the interest of uh, it being more democratic and expanding voter participation. This time around, you you introduced this amendment, and uh, it's a, a very reasonable amendment. Uh, it doesn't call anybody out. It doesn't uh, uh, it doesn't push some nefarious Bernie Sanders agenda, sleeper cell I agenda. Great, I went to great lengths to make it very palatable to both sides, because also you know Biden did terribly in Iowa. So I thought this had some broader it, appeal. You know, and, maybe I could. <laughs> and Bernie, Bernie did not perform as well in the states that went from caucus to primary this time around. If you want to expand primaries it, to, to, with more primaries, it's not necessarily that you're doing it to help Bernie, considering that it didn't exactly help him this time around. But uh, astoundingly, well, your amendment yeah. was overwhelmingly defeated. Right. The point was to bring in more voters to basically, you know, we have so many issues that are brought up about the Republicans and voter suppression. So I was sort of bringing up issues that sort of had a ne negative PR impact on the Democratic Party and and the goal of bringing in potentially new voters. Right. I forgot you did mention Iowa in the in the proposal and maybe just mentioning yes. what happened in Iowa was enough to cause people to vote against it because the so-called unity resolution that was put forward, which is mostly just vagaries about will move toward uh, expanding democracy. And it mentions on building off the successes of 2020, not mentioning any failures that gets overwhelmingly passed. 
It's interesting when Larry Cohen spoke in the actual meeting, he even talked about how um, the states that went from caucuses to primaries had exponential growth in voter participation. But why the hesitation to talk about Iowa when everybody saw what a colossal disaster it was? I, you know, it's my impression that they like this sort of possibility for a disaster if need be. Um, <laughs> um, that's just the sense I'm getting because it makes no no real sense otherwise as to why they would keep this system in place. So what else is um, noteworthy about the vote on your proposal? I We've talked about uh, some of what's gone down so far. I think uh, it would help to sort of talk about the meeting before the meeting. Sure. So the day before our um, rules committee meeting, um, Jeff Weaver, he we basically were told by the campaign to join this call, which was the first time we're actually hearing from anyone. It's the first rules committee meeting for the Bernie side. And Jeff Weaver was leading the call and it was clear that, you know, he was appointed by Bernie Sanders to serve on the committee. Um, and it was clear that him and Larry Cohen seemed to be acting as the lead negotiators for the committee, but we had never consented to that, you know, they never told us anything like, hey, heads up, you know, this is what's going to be happening. Um, so when Jeff Weaver got on the call, he let us know a deal is already in place um, for them to propose this unity resolution, which I, as you saw, is just very vague. It doesn't have any sort of binding language about superdelegates or anything. It's just like a kind of a handshake deal, if you ask me. Um, they, uh, Weaver said that they would be calling people that day to ask us all to drop our proposals, um, and that they represent Senator Sanders. So it was important that we heed his representatives, um, that if we, he said, you have a right to offer your amendment as a rules committee member, but this isn't what Bernie wants. And if you do, you'll be hurting the progress made by the movement. So he said he voted, he recommended we vote uh, as they tell us so we look like a cohesive movement. Mm. And then like I raised, you know, I raised my hand and I said, what if we decide not to, or, you know, how does that work? He said, if we don't drop our amendments, they'll advise other members of the committee to vote against us. And that's what they did. Yes, and then he also said, someone else asked about a minority report, which I told you is, 25%, if you get 25% of the committee to, you know, want to basically bring a resolution to the larger delegation for a vote, um, Jeff Weaver said the campaign is not supportive of a minority report. Hmm. You know, it's, um, <clears throat> I, uh, I mean, I am happy to have supported Senator Sanders in both his presidential uh, campaigns. But I have to say this, this does sound a little bit like uh, the politics that Sanders was uh, very fastidiously trying to avoid throughout, <laughs> throughout most of his runs. Well, that was the funny part because a cup, I mean, half of the people on the committee on our side, we're kind of like, oh, if Bernie doesn't want us to do it, well, I don't want to go against him. Uh, 
you know, some of them having run for office or maybe wanting to run for office in the future, wanting a endorsement from Senator Sanders, they don't want to go against his wishes. So some of the people were just like, okay, we'll do whatever you want. But then the other half of us were like, hey, wait a minute. You know, how many times did Bernie Sanders speak to a room full, you know, an empty room of people that when the vote wasn't going to go in his favor, yeah. you know, like when it wasn't politically convenient, when there wasn't a transaction at the end of it, you know what I mean? So it was just kind of odd for them to tell us to drop and also like especially the day the night before right like if they had contacted you like three months or months beforehand or weeks beforehand maybe you could have worked something out between uh the competing factions within the camp but the night before it's like come on yeah because we had a bunch of us had worked like i did research like we were up late like putting the stuff in, making sure it was formatted properly, like reviewing documents from 2016 to make sure, you know, cause we had to do it all on our own. We had no help from them. So I think, you know, it would have been a different story if it was some weeks before, like, hey, this is what's happening. Like, don't do any work. So, But it was yeah. kind of like a slap in the face. <laughs> so so what, what has this whole experience meant to you moving forward in terms of political work, whether it be uh, in Nove- heading with an eye on November or in the midterms or in 2024? Obviously, I, I don't think Bernie's going to run again in 2024, but I'm sure there will be some candidate hoping to carry that mantle. Not sure who it will be at this, this point, but uh, as someone who will you know, involved in progressive politics and still working within the Democratic Party. Uh, how has these events affected your your outlook for that potential relationship with Democrats in the future? I mean, let's be real. A lot of us were only involved with the Democratic Party because of Bernie. You know, like I ran as a delegate in 2016. I was at the convention. I ran again in 2020, I was on the committee, but this was through the Bernie Sanders campaign, which was what we thought a unique situation, you know, an actual chance for a progressive to win. Um, You know, due to the treatment that we received from the Democrats, I mean, in 2016 and 2020, it was just terrible. Like, if they truly do want to bring new folks into the party, why would they treat us with such contempt just for wanting to share our ideas, which I think might be useful. You know, I'm not there to like disrupt or, you know, overthrow them in the meeting or, you know, like I'm honestly trying to share my ideas. And it's just, it's just kind of sad not to feel like any support from the Bernie side in that regard. Like they should have made a deal that we would at least get to make our proposals, which Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016 did do. They allowed everyone to make their proposals. So it's like almost like the Biden campaign is even worse than Hillary. Yeah, that's a, that's a common theme in a lot of regards. I'm but noticing. for me, like I, um, a couple years ago, I started doing work with the Poor People's Campaign and, you know, I'm working in more of a nonpartisan way on issues. So like between now and November, we're just working on engaging voters and getting people registered to vote. There's a, in Illinois, there's a referendum happening on fair tax. So 
we're trying to get people to vote not just for you know the presidential but there's other things at stake so um, it's dis it's a disappointing end to sort of the Bernie campaign but the movement will go on in many forms it's just not really in a coalesced form like our revolution had similar problems with you know sort of co-option and you know I don't think that it's been a very successful organization. Um, a lot of people went into DSA. I'm also a DSA member. So I think it's just kind of like a dispersed movement and that momentum will continue in a variety of ways, which is unfortunate because when you bring people together to work together on things, then you have more power. But, you know, I guess Bernie, you know, I still really respect Bernie and he was truly inspiring to me and you know he still does inspire me but i don't think he ever intended to be a movement leader i think he's a senator and and that's okay but we just have to keep going you know it's it's our movement as well it's not about one person Shauna East, a 2020 dnc rules committee member thanks so much for coming on the show and uh telling us about that uh, that experience, even though it uh, wasn't the best experience. How can uh, people follow you on social media? Do you want to plug your uh, Twitter handle? Yes. The one thing I would like everyone to do, because this is what I spent, you know, the time in Iowa and working up to the convention, uh, working on my amendment, which was voted down significantly. Uh, it was 15 yes. 148 no and nine abstentions. <laughs> I think you'll find it quite compelling if you go to my Twitter, um, the pinned post at uh, the Shauna East. It's T H E S H A N A E A S T. Um, if you go there and look at the pinned post, you'll see a clip of me giving my proposal at the DNC Rules Committee. And then in the links below, you'll see, in the comments below, you'll see a link to the full video. You'll see all the vote counts and all the details to find out, you know, the nitty gritty of like who voted for what and like, why did this happen? So check it out. I would really like at least some more attention to the issues surrounding the Iowa caucuses and like, you know, the voter suppression and just voter disenfranchisement that I think is taking place in our first democratic contest. Thanks again to Shauna. That'll do it for the show today. I know we've got a backlog of haiku we need to write and read for our new subscribers over at Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Stay tuned for next week's newscast. We'll knock all those haiku out tomorrow we've got a brand new edition of means morning news over at means tv which you can get a free month subscription to by signing up to our patreon patreon.com slash district sentinel friday we're back with the subscriber only garbage can show we're here in dc so you don't have to be